Yo. Hello. Sorry to keep you waiting. That's all right. The lens just fell out of my glasses, and um, the Damn. tiniest screw in the world just bounced into uh, oblivion. Have you located it? Yeah, I'll just put it back together again because you gave me an extra five minutes. Good work. See? I knew. Welcome to North V South. What? <laughs> what was that? I just got uh, clip. Uh, Apple Clips is out. Ah. Well, we, we should probably talk about that. Yeah. Welcome to North V South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. This is episode 48. Cue electronic music. <laughs> Have we got any electronic music? <clears throat> uh, no, my Bontempi organ is in the workshop. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, left or right, John? Sorry. <laughs> left or right? Right. Okay. I got two beers to choose from. You just picked for me. Oh. So it's a uh, Flensburger Pilsner. From the uh, the Baltic coast of Germany. Wow! Comes in one of those nice little short stubby bottles with a like a Grolsch flip top top. Cheers! Have you got a drink this evening? Uh, I've got the end of a beer. I'll, ah. have to, I'll have to escape and go and get one. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's all been a bit a bit frantic this, this evening. Um, just to d- delayed wife and uh, child. Yeah, um, we're we're ramping up to Easter eggs, aren't we? So uh, there's a lot of sugar coursing through her veins at the moment. Oh, I see. The Easter eggs have started. Well, yeah, her playgroups and things like that. They're all uh, starting to uh, swap. That's terribly swap irresponsible of them. <laughs> Do you have to buy? Uh, is it is it kind of like birthday parties and Christmas? Do you have to buy Easter eggs for everyone that she's in playgroup with and all her teachers and things? Ah, might be why we're not invited to any social events then. <laughs> <laughs> You're not partaking in that social um, thing. No, not really. No. Seems crazy. We keep ourselves. Good for to you. Ourselves. Good for you, you <laughs> little hermit. <laughs> uh, so, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm all right. I've uh, I had a very frustrating week um, uh, with bitty work. You know, that's just been coming in when I have it hasn't been scheduled, um, and I've also dealt with. Um, car salesmen, right? Plumbers, oh, um, double glazing salesmen. Although that's my my wife's been dealing it's with like that. the nineteen eighties. Uh, yeah, I'm expecting the clean easy man. No, um, it's uh, yeah, and just a sp- and estate agents as well. It's, they're a special breed, aren't they? Oh yes, they're, they're all they're all just. Yeah, I don't know what it is. They're just so desperate to get your business, and then they're really surly when they don't get it. Yeah, I'm, I save my um, my uh, venom for estate agents and solicitors, right? Who just it's it's as if they don't want the work once you've um, you know engaged with them to do something for you. It's like they don't you know you have to phone and email and chase, and then they get back to you a week later and. I've never ever had a good good experience with a solicitor. No, me neither. And we've tried a few. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it hasn't it hasn't been all work and solicitors, has it, John? No. Um, you know, I've been buying a car, which is quite exciting. Oh. Um, and I used a, an online website, which I'm going to name as my website of the week. So I'll talk about it a bit later. Excellent. Um, yes. 
Uh, uh, yeah, what have I been doing? Oh, oh I um, I was in, in your neck of the woods yesterday and we met for lunch. Yes. Oh, yes. So we, we did. did. <laughs> we did. And you uh, obviously had pie and I was a, <laughs> a heretic. <laughs> I feel like I'd be uh, letting the side down if, if I didn't have pie. I'm yeah. sure most of our listeners think that's all I eat. <laughs> it is, though. Mm, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I even I branched out into empanadas this week, which is kind of like an Argentinian pie. So, yeah, well, oh, it's like yeah. a Spanish cornish pasty, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Are they Argentinian? Argentinian, Spanish. I don't know. The ones I had were Argentinian. Uh, how did you? How could you tell? Uh, I wish I could think of something funny to say. <laughs> They were Malvinas flavoured. Yes, because uh, it was an Argentinian empanada shop <laughs> I bought them from. <laughs> yes, but they were delicious anyway. Uh, yeah, so we, we met up and had lunch and talked uh podcast. And we talked print business, my illustration prints, your print business. We've, uh, we're kind of slowly nailing down the details <clears throat> of that, aren't we? Yeah. Um, and it's a nice excuse to meet up. Um, yeah, and we talked about the podcast, got some ideas down for the next five episodes, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, because um, two episodes from now is episode 50. Mm. So we're going to do a special. Um, we have been we have been promising book of the month and specials and, um, you know. Interviews. Interviews <laughs> and field trips but we haven't done any of it um, because we're hopeless <clears throat> and well, busy. I'd go for busy, yes, yeah. rather than hopeless. But yeah, a bit of both maybe. Um, but yes, yeah, so episode 50 is going to be a special and we've we've mentioned this uh, a few times. So we're going to do a typography special, aren't we? Yeah. Um, probably a, a little A to Z. We'll, we'll take up the entire show um, talking about type and typography. So that's um, something to look forward to for all type lovers out there. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> we're gonna, yeah, we're talking a bit more about graphic design rather than the um, the day-to-day business of running your own graphic design, which we kind of concentrated on towards the end of the last year, didn't we? Mm, we did. So we're going to talk about the, uh, the meat in the pie, as it were, rather than yeah. the pastry. <laughs> Very good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, is there anything uh, that you've done this week that you want to share with me and the listeners? I killed some mice, Rob. <gasps> Intentionally? Yeah. John. We're harsh out here in the country. You need a cat. You need a mouser. Yeah. Well, my Jack Russell's supposed to be a ratter. <laughs> Does he not work on anything? Is it like... You know, a bit too small for him. Too small a job. I think mice are, aren't they? They're going to be a little bit, um, a bit quick bit as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, how but did you dispatch the rodents? Traditional method. Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> That's moles, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I shouldn't be talking about this. Cru- I felt really, really bad. They're so beautiful when you I get. Think them. It's allowed when they're in your house, though. Yeah, they're not actually in our house. They're in my shed. But they are eating things like toolboxes and seeds and all sorts of things yeah. like that. So I've declared war on them. 
Okay. Within the uh, realms of the shed. Was it a traditional cartoon mousetrap? Yeah. What did you use? Peanut butter? Cheese. Cheese? <laughs> yeah. Was it uh, a <laughs> Wensleydale mature cheddar? Stinking bishop. <laughs> <laughs> and cheese did the trick, eh? No, yeah, just a bit of cheddar. Marvellous. Yeah. Well, obviously not for the mice. Three so <clears> far. <throat> Three? Yeah. Wow. Do you know, have they got a nest in there? Yeah. They made a nest in a, in a roll of gaffer tape ah, using the crazy. shells of peanuts. Wow. I know. They're um, cunning little things, aren't They're they? They're pretty cool. We had, um, when we used to have the flower shop, we used to sell gifts and things. We used to sell chocolates and we had these little uh, plastic cylinders that had those kind of chocolate covered football type things. Oh, yeah. In them. Uh, and the, the footballs were wrapped in foil. And the cylinder had a top on it. Uh, and the mouse, we had a mouse in the shop, and it ate a hole in the base of the plastic cylinder and then pulled out the round chocolates through the hole, unwrapped them and ate them and just left the wrappers and an empty <laughs> thing. It's like he was um, taunting us. It's amazing. Did he descend on a, on a zip wire? He did, the... yeah, he did. Wow. Mm. Yeah, so I felt pretty bad about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's not fun, is it? We've also we've had deer across uh, in the field across the road, which is beautiful. You're gonna you're gonna need much bigger traps. Yeah, um, yeah, I love I love this time. I said this last week, didn't I? I just love all the mm. birds and the, yeah, the, the the deer are incredible. <clears throat> yeah, it's fantastic. It's I mean, even though we uh, we live right next to a park that's got several hundred deer in it, and so you can just walk in there and see them all the time. When you see them. And you're not expecting it, you know, if you see them from the side of the road or as you drive past the field or something, it's you feel so blessed to get a glimpse of them. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I often see the little munt jacks in the woods up, up on the, up on the oh, hill. Wow. Yeah, it's full of them. <clears throat> there's, um, there's a family of munt jacks in, is it Highgate Cemetery? Really? Yeah, right in the middle of London. Mm. Uh, a little colony. They're meant to be very tasty, aren't they? Are they? You're yeah, getting ideas for a pie. <laughs> I've, I've never had Muntjac, but I've seen it at um, Borough Market. Yeah? Yeah. I've now got a, a vision of you uh, kind of crawling out into the undergrowth with the uh, camouflage paint on and a bandana. Yeah. Holding a bow and arrow. Well, talking of stalking your prey, I've finished Hannibal Season 1. <laughs> and we had a we watched Red Dragon on Saturday, which I had I'd forgotten was was actually made. It's Ray Fiennes is the uh, oh yeah the nasty in it. It's really really good, really you know in a kind of blockbustery way. Um, I'm I'm loving a bit of Hannibal at the moment. Cool, it's I've quite set, a, a, a convoluted uh, filmography for um, Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Because he's been played by well, if you include the TV series, four different actors now. Yeah, it's really strange, isn't it? I guess he's a character like Doctor Who or James Bond. He's so iconic now, isn't he? Yeah, he sort of transcends the actor. Yeah, Batman as well is another one, isn't Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, thoroughly recommend it. It's quite art house, um, and mm. I'm looking forward to watching season two, but I, I'm trying to find it on a, on a, a watchable channel. Yeah. So it's only on Now TV at the moment. Okay. I'm sure it'll appear on Netflix at some point. Um, yeah, I must. I must watch that. Um, 
Oh, other thing. Else? I, yeah, I got a um, a brand new bit of tech today. Uh, a an Amazon Fire Stick, the brand new one that's out today. Oh. Uh, it's voice. It's got Alexa built into it. So I've been playing with that with Kitty <laughs> this afternoon when she got back from Childminder. Um, so how I, does that work with having Alexa built into it? Where is the processing of that done? Surely not on the tiny little stick. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, wow. I guess the the stick's connected to the internet, so I don't know how much it's leveraging the calculation onto the yeah uh, onto the internet. But um, yeah, it, the stick is literally like a USB stick. It's tiny, um, and the remote control's got a little microphone at the top. You just hold it down and say what you want, and mm. uh, and it goes off. And it's really, really super rapid. Yeah, um, yeah, quite impressive. Uh, the only cool. thing is, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm. It's it's much much faster than the built-in kind of smart hubs that you get on your on your telly, which is why I bought it because the R one just drives me mad. I had exactly the same conversation with someone that was out for dinner last night with a friend, and he was saying exactly the same thing. What's that? The about about his he wants he wants to get the uh, what is it the Amazon Echo thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, because his smart TV is so terrible and shonky. Yeah. No, they they really are awful. The Samsung is just hopeless. Um, but the the yeah, I'm, I'm I have to say, super super zippy. Came set up ready with my account details already on the. Oh, um, that's clever. Yeah, really clever. Just had to yeah, sign nice. in. Um, and uh, yeah, and the search is super quick, and you can even do uh, dice rolls and things like that. Because I was playing with Alid's uh, one at Christmas, and he was showing me that you can just say roll a dice, and it gives you a random number. Wow. So if you're doing your fighting fantasy books, yeah, then you can uh, just That's roll your dice. Does it, does it speak the number? Yes. Oh, okay. It says I've rolled a, etc. I've probably set off loads of Alexas around, but yeah. by saying Alexa a lot. Uh, but you don't you don't do that on the telly, and I think it's extra. It's abstracted from the actual Alexa, so it's not actually a. Uh, the whole thing built into okay. it's um, like a little stripped down version yeah but it will search if you say uh watch um like what i was doing with kitty watch paw patrol it will bring up paw patrol ready to mm. play cool yeah it's pretty clever or we'll play music from uh, amazon music and spotify that's clever anyway oh, marvelous um well you caught up with hannibal i listened to a podcast this week <clears throat> while, uh, while i was working yeah uh, S-Town. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to any of it? No, I've got it lined up. So it's from, I work, there will be no spoilers. Um, it's from the makers of Serial. And, um, Kellogg's. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely terrible. Oh, really? That's, that's I... the only spoiler I can give you if you haven't watched, <laughs> listened to it yet. Oh. Because it, it's, it's pitched as a, a mystery with a murder and... Uh, horology and it, you know makes it sound quite exciting and it wasn't that for me no dear so it's it's possibly the most disappointing bit of media i've consumed ever <laughs> wow i'd rank starship troopers above it oh you didn't like I that walked, for, i like i that. walked out of that film what it's the only film i've ever walked out of it was terrible really mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yes. So I listened to uh, S Town. Have you listened to Serial then? I have. I loved Serial. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was brilliant. Um, didn't like S Town. This didn't. Um, 
no, this didn't compare. Uh, and I read a comic. Yeah. I read, uh, well, I read a, a trade paperback of the first uh, six or seven issues of Black Hammer, which is from uh, written by a guy called Jeff Lemire, who's written stuff for Marvel um, under the bits and pieces. I'm not, I, you know, we're not comic buffs, so I don't really know what else he's done. Uh, and illustrated by Dean Ormston. And the colours are by Dave Stewart, who has done uh, masses of the colour work for Mike Minola's Hellboy. Uh, so it looks beautiful. And it's fantastic. I absolutely loved it. It's about a group of superheroes from the uh, 60s and 70s. That Je- whilst- Je- sorry, sorry, Jeff Lemire. What? I do know who he yeah. is. Do you? Yeah, um, Essex County trilogy. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that. Sorry, sorry to butt in. Yeah, uh, and it's about a, a group of superheroes from the 60s and 70s that, whilst battling a supervillain, somehow find themselves transported to a a small farm in the Midwest of America and can't leave. So they have to try and fit in with the townsfolk. And it's just brilliant. Absolutely cracking stuff. Um, so if you're, if you are looking for a, a good new comic to read, then black hammer secret origins trade paperback is well worth a look. And are you reading that on paper? Yes, I am. I went out and bought it from a comic shop. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Raygun Comics oh, in Richmond, in, uh, Richmond oh. which is the first time I've been there as well. And I've also got Saga. To oh, read yeah. Too. I've read the first collection of that. Yeah, that's what I've got in my hands right now. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm not overly wowed by the colour uh, in that. It's quite vivid. Um, but I've heard good things. Yeah, it's a good story. I, yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, and I'm I totally agree with you. I hate that airbrushed colour that's yes. quite popular in Marvel at the moment. Yeah, <clears throat> and they, it's it's definitely from that, isn't it? Of that the gradiated kind yeah, of yeah. bright <clears throat> colours. Not not keen. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I did this week was uh, on Twitter. Adrian Shaughnessy, uh, we'll call him a friend of the show because we've talked about him a few times. Author of How to Be a Graphic Designer Without Losing Your Soul. Uh, all-round design, good egg, um, tweeted that he had some DNA D annuals that he was getting rid of, and did anyone want them? Well, I replied, I emailed him, and it turns out we live 300 yards away from each other. So I popped around to his house and picked up 10 DNA D annuals from the from the <laughs> north from the noughties. That's, uh, that's mad, isn't it? That is yeah, mad. It is bonkers. Uh, you know, if you're into your graphic design you you will know adrian shaughnessy and his work very well um produces the unit editions books with um tony brook from spin um yeah and he's a lovely guy and it turns out he's moving house which is uh, why he was downsizing his dna d annual collection um, but it was very nice to meet him and he was uh, very lovely so that was quite nice so now i've got a stack of dna d annuals to have a I look at jolly good have you got some newsy bits for us i read this one through bbc radio bristol i think it was somebody had posted it on facebook or somewhere <clears> like that <throat> mm-hmm. it's called the apostrophizer it's a bbc radio 4 production um and it's a really great story about a one man's battle against 
poor grammar on the streets of uh, Bristol. So street signs and directional arrows. He's going round late at night and correcting them. That's fantastic. <laughs> and Eliminating a, all the grosses apostrophes. Yes, and he's also putting in apostrophes. <laughs> he's got he's got a specially developed uh, pencil on a long stick. That, <laughs> it's double it's double sided, so one side draws them in and one side gets rid of them. He also Brilliant. puts vinyl stickers and all sorts of things. And the great thing is that uh, shop owners don't ever notice. <laughs> of course they don't. So there's a great video with it. If you go to uh, um, uh, the Radio 4 and look up the apostrophizer, there is a video available on BBC uh, Bristol Radio's Facebook page. Yeah, well worth having a look at. Yeah, bravo to him. That. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. Um I uh, noticed, uh, I think it was on Creative Review, that one of the the world's great marketing slogans is 50 years old um, this week or this year. Beans means Heinz uh, celebrates its uh, 50th birthday. 50? Um, yeah. Wow. So it was, uh, it was created by Maurice Drake who was working at uh, Young and Rubicum, and they were struggling to come up with a, a strap line for the campaign. So he took his team off to the pub, and um, I don't know, it doesn't say how many pints later, but they came up with Beans Beans Hines. And did it have the Z on it originally? It did, mm. yeah. Um, and I think at the, pretty much the same time, they they worked out that you could advertise the products without saying the name, because you could go Beans Beans and then show the product which i think is one of the the, the kind of nicest uses of it yeah <clears throat> certainly one of the first slogans i was aware of i would imagine yeah a secret lemonade drinker yeah maybe <laughs> r white that was our white wasn't it yeah see yeah. you didn't have to say the name of the brand there no what was the one watch out there's a humphrey about mm. milk uh, it didn't a lot of straw used to come on and drink people's milk it used to come on from the side almost like a muppet <laughs> uh no, no i'm obviously googling that now yeah unigate milk right uh featured uh arthur mullard and rod hull <laughs> amongst other people uh, and Muhammad Ali. Yeah. So it's quite eclectic. Spike Milligan, Barbara Windsor, Sid oh, they, James. They were great. I loved those ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's your next bit of news? IKEA have entered the smart uh, lighting industry, which is okay. um, exciting to see. Uh, I didn't realise there was anyone but Philips Hue in the smart lighting industry. Oh, I think there are lots, you know, the ha- Samsung and all that okay. lot. The problem with all the systems is that hardly any of them talk to each other. Um, right. And you need to buy a sort of router uh, for them to start talking to connector systems like um, Apple's Home Hub. What's, what's their thing called? can't remember but uh mm. it doesn't work with any of them so i think the ikea is is a close is a, is a closed uh, a walled garden as it were so you need to get their little router you can then use an app to control yeah. lights 
Um, but it's it's good to see, you know, they're, they're, they're low cost. You know, you could set up a system fairly cheaply. I think the Hue yeah. is, is really quite hideously yeah, expensive. Yeah, they're quite pricey, aren't they? Um, it'd be quite interesting because obviously they've got access to a big old chunk of the market like here, haven't they? Exactly. And they're, I've got their sort of early version of that in some cabinets where, you know, you've got a little remote control sort of mm. puck. Um, which works really, really well, and I'm guessing it's extending off off of that. But they've also got little light boxes look, that look fantastic that you could put on a wall and have, um, well, you, sh- you know, show the latest X-rays of your lungs or whatever. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, they've got little light panels which could look could be really cool, couldn't they? Um, and again, you can control the hue, so you can choose the color of you know whether you want it warm light or light or, or white yep. light which is quite handy for a little studio um to be able to put it into different modes mm. yeah so uh go and check out their uh, what they called it they called it smart lighting and for example you can get a little kit it's 30 quid um i wonder what that gives you it gives you a controller and a light bulb i don't know how that compares against the philips hue but I think no, it's going to be cheaper, isn't it? I'll look it up while you do the next news item. A, a, a mile cheaper, I would have thought. Uh, so I've got a couple of links here, which not really news items, just things that um, I came across this week. Uh, or one of them was last week, actually. So the first one, there's a photo essay on Mashable uh, about the Bonneville Salt Flat speed trials from 1966. And I've included this. This came via Jeremy Marshall on Twitter. Um, And I've included this because the photographs are so beautiful. Um, I mean, the first one just, you know, got me straight away because it's got this beautiful streamlined speedster, which is bright orange. Um, And, uh, yeah, that's that's me suckered in. I think you show me a beautiful vintage orange race car, and I'm, I'll do anything, almost. Uh, but the photos are beautiful. They've got that kind of Kodachrome look about them. Um, really fab pictures. Um, so that's well worth a look. And then I've got another little photo essay, which is about the ship graveyard of the RLC. Uh, so the RLC in Central Asia is a salt lake that's been, uh, the level of which has been dropping since the 60s as uh, water's diverted out of it for agriculture and uh, irrigation and I assume human consumption somewhere. <clears throat> um, and as the lake drained, these boats that were kind of harboured in the, the sea they ended up further and further away from the the shore and from the sea. So they were just abandoned. And now there are all these kind of rusting hulks and bits of them have been salvaged and then they've sunk into the into the sand. So there's only kind of bits uh, sticking out of the, the silt and the sand. And they're just fantastic images. Really kind of weird. It's a, a little bit like... Um, you know, the skeleton coast off Namibia with all the shipwrecks um, off the the Atlantic coast of Africa. Yeah. You know, these kind of sting hulks. <clears throat> and there's something really sort of fascinating about these, these kind of skeletal remains of, of big ships 
that um, it's just kind of really visually interesting. I think they look like, you know, they could have come straight out of an Ian McHugh yeah. painting. Um, yeah, I just think they're fascinating images. So that's worth a look as well. That was, um, well, I'll put the link in the show notes, <clears throat> which I'll do. Uh, but yeah, it was just uh, on someone's blog. It was very nice. I like finding weird stuff like that. Very good. One of the joys of the internet. <clears throat> oh, Philips Hue, 60 quid. And the IKEA ones? Uh, 30. But you get two bulbs with Philips. And it's compatible one, with HomeKit. Okay. And the IKEA one is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd probably go with the Philips, but um, yeah, yeah. it's good to see that um, the cheaper products are starting to come out. Yeah, I wonder how much of the cost of the Philips is. I wonder if there's licensing fees for HomeKit. Possibly. I wonder if IKEA could have made a, a similarly cheap product, but still integrated with HomeKit. I don't think HomeKit is mm. particularly very good anyway at the moment, is it? Well, it just needs um, developers to, to use it, doesn't it? Yeah. Talking about light, though, I noticed that the latest update, which I'd never noticed, to uh, the Mac OS, which is what am I running, Sierra, has that night shift thing that the iPhones have, which alters the hue of your screen depending on the time of the day. So it warms the screen up and gets rid of the blue, a lot of the blue light uh, as it gets dark. So, which is great if you're just kind of tapping on something that doesn't need uh, color accuracy. You'd have to have it turned off if you're doing retouching. But um, but yeah, it's quite nice. I'd use it on the iPhone. Um, I think it helps a bit. Um, yeah, they, they've just updated iOS, so um, I'm guessing Cli- yeah, Clips is now available, um, which mm. is their new attempt at another social uh, network. Uh, Apple, you know, <coughs> fa- famous well, for. Well, is it because? Because you can't share anything on Clips, can you? It just produces videos that you can share on other ah, right. platforms. I, d- I don't know yet. I haven't really had a look at it. Yeah, um, it's just a kind of video clip producing uh, app. Right. Um, I was reading that it could be a game changer because uh, the live captioning that it includes. So you get all. Um, if you have a, a video with words and talking or singing, it'll autom- it can automatically live caption that, so it'll listen to what it is and produce text. And apparently that's a big thing. I don't know why it would be. I think it's a big thing for kind of YouTubers and stuff. Um, but apparently the accuracy of that is way above anything else that's out there on the market at the minute. Um, so that could be a, a key selling point for it. Not that it is to sell. But. Yeah. Ah. Well, I look forward to seeing um, seeing your attempts with clips. We went to see some friends and they were sort of, their kids were seven, eight, nine age. And they are playing with, I can't remember what the app was called, but they're all sending each other videos of them singing different versions of the same song. Um, and they okay. can send it to their friends. And it changes their voice and does all yeah. sorts of things like that. And they're just sending these videos backwards and forwards. Um, all the kids have got little eye touches, or you know, the rich kids have got iPhones. But that's yeah. what they're—that's all they're doing up in their bedrooms, <laughs> just making videos, little pop yeah. videos. Which I think, you know, if I was a seven or eight-year-old, I think that's all I'd have done. I'm gonna—I'm—I'm I'm sharing a video with you over messages that I've just done while you were talking. Then 
Oh, yes. But live captioning. Oh, that's quite cool. I mean, you look startled, but uh, that's quite clever, isn't it? Yeah. It's given me a nice. really weird beard. <laughs> weird beard. I nearly bought a beer tonight from a, a, a weird beard brewery. Everyone's been talking about Block um, Design Studio. Have you heard of them? No. They are a British company. I think they're from Belfast. Um, and the designer is called Tara Ash. And she's designing sort of home, cool home products, the kind of things that you'd see in the design museum um, and okay. on the streets of Berlin, uh, lots of shops sell, you know, yep. in the trendier areas sell sell. Um, products like these they're you know they're kind of pastel hued um natural wood products things like clipboards okay. and coat racks and candlesticks they're really really lovely uh, and the main uh, product that really has caught people's attention is their little they do a little notice board which comes with a load of pegs um i think they've already sold out of them um and it's basically a drilled board with lots of little know, holes I did see that. Yeah. I just hadn't uh, recognised the uh, the names. It's great. It's cool little shop, cool little products being made, and it's it's just lovely to see businesses like this thriving. We've talked before, haven't we, about it's, it's nice when design companies start producing products as well as, you know, designing. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're kind of – stuff. Yeah, they're quirky and humorous and um, – uh, and, and, and not that expensive. No, they're not, are they? They're really nice. Right. So, yeah, oh, go on to their morning. website and have a look. Blockdesign.co.uk. There's loads of present ideas in there. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, my last little bit of news is just a, a weird thing that I think Present and Correct might have, or the QILs, it's one or the other, tweeted about today, uh, which is about Thomason's. Do you know what a Thomason is? No. So a Thomason is uh, a useless relic or structure that has been preserved as part of a building or the built environment, uh, which is which has become kind of like a, a piece of art. So it's like uh, the examples on this little tumbler that I found. Um, this is like a, a railway track that ends in some tarmac, like a gate that doesn't lead anywhere um a weird kind of bollard in the middle of nothing fences that fence off nothing it's, it's kind of a, a tricky thing to describe um but i think the key thing is they need to be sort of maintained in some way um you know there's a there's a there's kind of metal guards that you get around saplings yeah uh but there's no tree um, <laughs> you know so it's this weird thing, and the weird thing is that, that you know it's got a name um, uh, given to it by a, a Japanese artist um, who called them Hyper Art Thomasons. And, and why did he call them that? Don't know. She, he or she? Sorry, he or she? I don't. I don't know. And what is um, a Thomason? Well, Thomason or Hyper Art Thomason is a type of conceptual art named by the Japanese artist Akasagawa Genpai in the nineteen eighties. And then it goes on to describe what they are. Um, but it doesn't, origin of the term, 
Uh, the term Thomason comes from the professional baseball player Gary Thomason, who was signed by the Yomiuri Giants for a record-breaking sum of money and spent his final two seasons. Uh, so he was viewed as being entirely useless on the team. <laughs> so he was maintained in good condition, but with no purpose. <laughs> I know how he feels. <laughs> so there you go. So that's cool. I love those kind of weird things that occur that have, you know, they've got a, somehow they've been named, they've become a thing. Um, yes. So there you go. That's all my news. Well, actually, I've got some new news. Oh, yeah? I'm just opening another beer. <laughs> Carry on. You had a tweet liked by a company called Aerobull HD uh, a few Did days I? ago. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you know these people. No, it escaped my attention entirely. Well, I saw it and thought, hmm, I wonder what they do, because they had a shine, there's a shine, uh, the icon is a shiny sort of uh, ceramic, it looks like a ceramic uh, French bulldog. Right. And we were talking about French bulldogs yesterday. We were. <laughs> now, but, um, so I clicked on the link, as you do, curiously, and it's, uh, it, it turns out it's a speaker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's in the shape of a French bulldog and they come in a variety of colors. They've got sunglasses on and, um, they, uh, each the left and the right is a speaker of the, of the sunglasses. The remote control is a bone. And the weird thing is that they're produced by a company called jar.com J A R R E.com. So you can guess who might be okay. behind this. Uh, Mr. Jean Bajel. Yes. <laughs> so you can buy um it's on yeah if you go to jar.com you can buy them in all sorts of various colors they are pretty expensive and they're speakers in the shape of a french bulldog yeah and the jesus i've just seen the price yeah they're 1349 (laughs) pounds hey but free shipping until mother's day yes but on their social feed, social media feed, I think it was Twitter, they've got hold of some Vanta Black and done one in Vanta Black, <laughs> which just looks astonishing. Because apparently, I was reading in the news that Vanta Black now is available in spray can. Ah. Oh. So whether um, Anish Kapoor has given up the rights to it or not, maybe. Hard to say, but yeah, well, so that, I guess he's only got the rights to use it in art, hasn't he? Ah, uh, right. So yeah, so they've they've obviously got hold of some, and and uh, it just makes it look like it's a hole in space, but a yes. French bulldog shaped one. <laughs> so if you're after um, a very expensive French bulldog shaped uh, high definition speaker, then um, we found it. It's uh, wow. Jean Michel Jarre is the man. Where are the actual speakers? The speakers are actually the sunglasses, aren't they? Yeah. And is the rest of it not actually anything? So it either, just... it either plays stereo or you can, um, you can <laughs> like just associate the left eye or the right eye with the music you're playing. Wow. Yeah. It's 120 watt as well. So that's, that's yeah. loud. <clears throat> it I, is. I yes. really, really want one because Dish. they're so bad. They're weird, aren't they? Yeah. They do look like the kind of cheap thing you'd get in a shop that caters entirely for Secret Santa presents. Mm-hmm. Um, but £1,300. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> you have to have a, a penthouse apartment like in the uh, in most of the photos with it. Yes. Dotted around very expensive flats. Yeah, absolutely. Not very good in suburbia. No. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, did you did you get yourself another beer? No. 
Yeah. Okay. No, I'm okay actually. Thank you. Okay. I'm on the Flensburger Gold now. What's that one? Are uh, these all same, pilsners? Same brewery. No, this is a. Uh, I don't know. It's all in German. <laughs> it's mild and frisch. Ah. Whereas the other one was Hebwegzig he, he, he and frisch. There you go. I thought you spoke German. No, my wife speaks German. Ah. I well, I got as far as what is the Kugelschreiber. What does that mean? Where's the pen? And that's pretty much where my German ends. That's so, your life. That's your life, though, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Comes in handy. Uh, should we get on to our main topic of discussion? Dreaded, yes, I'm dreading this bit. Are you? <laughs> well, you know, as we were saying uh, yesterday, we're both uneducated heathens when it comes to graphic design. In terms of. <laughs> We either didn't finish our education or didn't have any whatsoever. So my knowledge of graphic design history is pretty poor. That's okay. Yeah. So what did we decide to do, Rob? We decided we'd talk about uh, three designs that uh, kind of are three top bits of graphic design, whether that's uh, things that we think are particularly good or they've been influential or they're just kind of a great bit of design. Yeah, uh, I, I immediately struck uh, a an iceberg with this um, challenge because I started questioning what is you know what what qualifies as graphic design. Was it a person or was it a piece of work or was it is you know is a, is a logo or a product a piece of graphic design? Does it have to be print based? Um, so I you know and then I just went off. In a, in a spiral of self-doubt and hatred. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that all said, what, what was the first thing that you uh, conjured up? Well, as usual, I turned to my childhood to reminisce about things because that's where kind of I, I really believe that things um, crystallized for me. And my taste was formed when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously I you know, learn ever since. But I think my dad had a pen when I was a kid and it was a beautiful pen. I wasn't allowed to touch it, but I just used to see the end of it um, and thought it was the most beautiful uh, shape. And I didn't realise what it was. I didn't know what the pen was. And it turns out it was a Mont Blanc. And I think my first one will be that uh, iconic um, rounded star on the end of the Mont Blanc beautiful, isn't pen. it? Yeah. And the reason I've chosen this is if I'm allowed it, because it's obviously it's it is part of a product, but it is their brand. It is their brand. Is that it's it, their logo. Yeah. yeah. Is that it captures great branding uh, perfectly. Uh, I because the the history of Mont Blanc, I quickly ran through it um, and they formed in about 1900. <laughs> And started producing pens, but it wasn't until 1913 that they produced that particular end of the pen. It was used to be okay. a, white, a white block before that. Um, and then it wasn't till another like 15, 16 years later before they came up with the Meisterstück, the the the, the classic shape that you you know that I I okay. see, which is the sort of <clears throat> slightly fat fountain pen. Um, yeah. And then it was another, I don't know how many years, what was it? Uh, another 
five years after that that they came up with the uh, the four eight one zero on their um, on the nibs, which is the height of Mont Blanc. Oh. and I just think that that's fantastic that it took that long to come up with those brand elements that they yeah. you know nothing was rushed about it and it was probably i don't know the the full history of it but what i love is that it, it's developed um glacially almost and <laughs> and therefore become permanent and not it not being fiddled around with um and if you go to their timeline um on their website which is montblanc.com uh, and i think if you put in forward slash discover forward slash history that should get you there. Um, you is like a timeline of all the things that they produced, and they've been bought out by Dunhill about ten years ago or something. And all of the changes that have happened mm. since they were bought out, they it's become you know their pens have become gaudy, and they've um, started producing watches and leathers goods, and you know it, it yeah. they've lost that kind of essence of what the original pen really stood for and i think that's um an epidemic within brands isn't it especially as they're collected by large corporations who then start making each individual brand have products from other ranges for example um and funnily enough my dad also smoked pipe uh and he had a he liked dunhill pipes and they had a tiny little iconic white dot on them so if you ever see a, a a Dunhill pipe, it's got a tiny little white dot. And that was another thing. You know, I just love those little tiny touches. Super subtle. Yeah. So and what does the, the, do you know what the Mont Blanc blob star is? Where it came from? Who, who made it? Who yeah, or what it's supposed to be. Or It's the top of Mont just, Blanc. It's the, oh, it's the mountain like top. Above. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. It took me a long oh, cool. time to work that one out as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's the snowy top. Yeah, nice. um, so that's my first piece of graphic design. Uh, whether it is a piece of graphic design or not, it's, it's moot. It's a logo. That's yeah. Entirely logo. graphic design. Yes. I, I love the fact that they can, that their brand, their, their brand is so strong that their fav icon on their website is just that shape and it just fits it perfectly. You know I mean? And it's something yeah, that was designed yeah. and hasn't been fiddled with, uh, you know, over a hundred years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, their their branding is so great that you you often just see that logo, don't you, with with no type. Yeah, I wonder what happened to my dad's pens, because they were beautiful things, and yeah. I have no idea where they went. Um, but they, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind one if anyone's listening Ooh. and wants to spend four hundred and fifty pounds on. On a pen. Oh, I'm sure we've got some listeners in, uh, in Switzerland. <laughs> I've got some nice old Parkers and stuff, but not, not yeah. Mont Blanc. I know it's a bit pretentious, isn't it? But they are beautiful objects. They are. They're lovely. There's anything wrong with that. So that's number one. Cool. Uh, my first one, uh, which is actually second in my list, is I've kind of gone for a classic piece of graphic design, an influential piece of graphic design, and a political bit of graphic design uh so the influential one is something from college when i was at college i've mentioned this book before but there was a book called typography now um and there was a few of us at college had it on my graphic design course in york uh and it's a beautiful 
beautiful book. It's called Typography Now, The Next Wave. And it was edited by Rick Poiner. Published in, let me just see when it was published, 1991. Um, so I probably got it a couple of years after that. I don't know, 91, 18 years old. Yeah, that's probably when I got it. Um, and it's full of beautiful design from that period and kind of a you know a few years before that and one of the bits of design that always struck me was some designs for uh, I assume they're called paschal candles um, which are kind of liturgical candles and they generally have text and a cross on them uh, and Phil Baines a British uh, designer and type designer had designed these really beautiful uh, letterpress and silkscreen designs for these paschal candles. And they're quite limited in palette, golds and reds. Uh, and they're really quite complex in that there's overlaid um, text and graphic forms and kind of religious um, symbols in there, you know, a lot of the elements combined to form crosses. And I just think these were just remarkable bits of typographic design. And they really, really hit me when I was sort of 17, 18, just starting college, starting to study graphic design. Uh, and they really influenced my work. You know, so I'm not religious. Um, I don't know if Phil Baines is religious, but this work completely found its way into so much of my stuff in the first couple of years of college. Um, and I think some, in some ways that kind of religious imagery for me was probably a shortcut uh, impact. You know, if you put a cross and kind of something vaguely uh, ecclesiastical looking on a, on a bit of design, it kind of gives it some sort of innate, um, punch so it was probably a shortcut because I wasn't a very good designer back then um, but these two or three designs even though I you know, very rarely look at the book these days they've always stayed with me and I still think they stand up today as really beautiful bits of type design um, I think they're gorgeous there was that uh, typeface back in the 90s that everyone used, Exocet, was it called? Yeah. That had crosses and Barnbrook. Yeah. Was, was that so, a Barnbrook font? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. uh, so there's kind of, in this book, it's, you know, it's Brody, Barnbrook, Baines. You know, it's this kind of uh, terrible trio of British type designers, really, uh, or designers using type uh, as image. Um, and there's so much of their work in of their work in this book that influenced me. Barnbrook's exercise in there, and um, yeah, and, and that I think fed into a lot of the work for um, Why Not Associates. Don't know if it was, was was Barnbrook part? No, he wasn't part of Why Not Associates, was he? I can't remember. But that kind of <clears throat> crosses and the kind of weird footling and overlapping of text and type and stuff. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, so what's your next bit mine is a person right um, that's allowed right but well, it's, 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 it's some of her work anyway she's called susan care and she designed the original icon set for the apple mac 
back Ooh. in 1983. And I love it. And I think she's fantastic. Uh, she's got a website, care.com. That's K with a, with a K. Yeah. <laughs> Good one, John. Um, and yeah, if you don't know the icons that were designed, they are so recognizable. And the most famous one is the smiling uh, little Mac that was kind of the first, I'd say, desktop uh, or computer that tried to be friendly and tried mm. to have a human kind of uh, personality. Um, all the ones before that were hobbyist machines. This was the first one that tried to be uh, user friendly with the yes. uh, with the release of the uh, graphical user interface and all that. Um, she's got a shop on there and you can buy the posters they're uh, hand-printed jobbies, and they're very expensive, but I'd really like one. So anyone wants yeah, to buy me nice, yellow background, uh, A4 jobby, it's $99. Yeah, very um, nice. But yeah, she uh, she just she she just nailed those icons um, completely. Did yeah. she design the Apple logo? Was that her as well? Or was that no. Okay. No. Oh, you are. But this, yes, definitely graphic design anyway, John. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, if you're, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're, nice. if you're a youngin and you don't know uh, what I'm talking about, just go to her site and look at her work. She's, um, you know, she is primarily an icon designer mm. uh, and uh, she's not highfalutin at all. She's just cool. Her stuff's cool. Is she, she's a bit like John Hicks. He's, he just does icon stuff, doesn't he? And yeah. uh, he, he's, he's as laid back as she is. I think there's something about icon designers. Maybe. <laughs> I think they might get a bit more time on their briefs or something. No, <laughs> no stress like us. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, it's weird. I was looking, I saw a link on um, Twitter today or somewhere today uh, to a iPhone case. And the styling of the iPhone case was that of a, an early iMac. So it was kind of in that kind of that warm gray, slightly beige plastic. And it had the rainbow Apple logo on the back and then kind of like some little grooves on the side. That oh, yeah, like I saw the, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was quite cool. There's also a Apple Watch stand that's a little tiny Mac oh, classic. Oh, looks like that. Yes. Yeah. How are you getting on with your Apple Watch? Good. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like uh, it. It's great. Um it's good for running. Uh and I do, I would just use it as a watch <laughs> for other things. So, um yeah, but as a fitness app, I really like it. It's cool. it's, it's working well. Cool. Uh my next uh bit of design is a logo um, which has been around for ooh, 99 years. So the 100th anniversary next year of the Lufthansa logo, which is the flying crane inside the roundel. Um, and I, I, I've got an affinity, not just because my wife is half German, uh, but I think I've got an affinity with a lot of German design. And uh, I think Lufthansa just nails branding to this day brilliantly um so back in 1918 um otto furl created this logo for deutsche luft Reederei, which was the precursor of lufthansa 
uh, and he stole the colours from the Junkers Aviation Company that um, history buffs know was uh, producing some military aviation uh, stuff for the for the wars. Uh, so he, he stole their colour scheme, which is this kind of warm yellow and this deep sort of indigo blue, and put this really elegant crane design slightly uh, angular crane design into this roundel um, and it was it was used from 1919 uh, and then was adopted when this company became Lufthansa in 1926 and it's the logo's undergone you know the odd tweak since then but really it's still it's still so close to that original design it's it's kind of ridiculous um, and I think not only is it a cracking logo, but it's just been consistently well implemented by Lufthansa. Um, it's no surprise that they're one of those companies that have brilliant guideline manuals. Um, and they just, yeah, they just seem to nail corporate branding. Um, and I love it. It's fits that circle so beautifully in yeah. terms of its spaces pulling negative space all over the place that it doesn't although it's a shape that shouldn't fit into a circle it fits absolutely perfectly but if you look at the logo when it was drawn like almost like three ducks flying you know yeah. on a wall yeah that um, was its first use right but obviously didn't originate f- from being contained within a circle but it's something mm. that has just naturally fitted that circular yeah. roundel. And I'm guessing the roundel was because that's what went on to wings and Aeroplane, sides yeah. of aeroplanes. Cause you know, most of them were, weren't they? Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, I, I love it. There's a great book as well. Right. Um, called Lufthansa and graphic design. And it tells the, the whole story of uh, that logo and Lufthansa's corporate branding um, from its inception in 1918 up to the late 90s. It's a cracking little book on graphic design. All oh, right, I, I'm going to get that. That's, that's mm. great. Great recommendation. It's a good one. Uh, so, what's your your next bit of graphic design? Mine's uh, British through and through. It's the Tube Map by Harry Beck. Right. Uh, I couldn't pass it up. I've loved this map ever since I was a wee kid, yep. and I think it's like an electronic drawing. I, I'm guessing that that's, you know, I'm not guessing he, that's kind of the original sort of inspiration behind it in the fact that it's a um, completely abstracted map of yeah, London. Yeah, it looks like a, a, a circuit, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the story behind it is really interesting as well because uh, there are all sorts of fights over it. And uh, he, he, I think he died a pretty unhappy man about the fact that he didn't get much recognition for it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's just a great story. It's it's a living um, piece of work that is still being added to now, but and now has a nice um, sort of uh, footnote on it that um, credits Harry Beck with the original design. Um, yeah, I think his boss took a lot of the credit, didn't he? Um, his name I can't remember, but I think it was he didn't get. Um, they didn't get on at all, did they? No. And that sort of, and, and I remember going to the um, the Saatchi uh, 
sensation at Royal Academy, was it back in nineties? Was it? Uh, and, um, there was a piece of work there by um, Simon Patterson, which was the Great Bear. I think it was, yeah. well, that might have been at Tate Britain, but yeah, it was around the same time. He produced a kind of a pastiche of the tube map using all the lines with different, um, different sort of famous uh, painters and actors and all kinds of things like that. And he'd worked out this new map and that's a fantastic, a very popular um, poster at Tate Modern now, I think. Um, yeah. But that, that was, I thought that was such a clever, uh, sort of twist on on the tube map um and it, it is part of the you know it is part of the british sort of almost like you know a bowler hat and cup of tea the tube what map is? is 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 that instantly recognizable thing that you know that it's from london don't you you do i wonder if how important or how recognizable it is to people who aren't from the south yeah. who don't visit London, you know, I wonder if, you know, people who within who live in the north, um, you know, who've never been to London, I wonder how much kind of cultural weight it, it carries. Yeah. Does it transcend that geography and become something instantly recognisable for everyone? Probably, I don't know. to an extent. I mean, it's almost a, it's almost a, a perfect representation of the growth of London post, you know, turn of, you know, Edwardian times in terms oh, now of... You've, now you've got to make a gif of, of it uh, growing. Of the development of it, yeah. <laughs> but it is, isn't it? Because it is mainly suburb. I mean, you look at it, it, it although, yeah. the, although the, probably the centre of London takes up, you know, 50% of the space, but actually... Mm. Um, it's so extracted that uh, yeah. abstracted that um, it would probably be about fifteen times bigger, wouldn't it, <laughs> if it yeah. tried to scale it? Absolutely, yeah, because it goes out a hell of a long way, doesn't it? The tube network. Yeah, my, yeah, I don't know how wide it is now. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think once you've lived in London as well, you uh, you develop a certain warmth for it, don't you? Yeah, there are lines you like going on and lines you don't like going on. Yeah. Stations you like. There's even a game on Radio 4 that's based on it, isn't there? Yeah, there is indeed. Yeah. Uh, my last bit of design is political. And I think it's it's definitely the first political bit of design I remember seeing. Um, but I don't know if I saw it, if I remember seeing it from, a, from the time it was produced, because it was 1979, so I was only six... It was designed by Saatchi and Saatchi for the Conservative Party for their 1979 election. And it's the Labour Isn't Working poster, which, uh, big type, Labour Isn't Working, and then a queue of people queuing for the unemployment office. And then the, the strap line is Britain's better off with the Conservatives. And it's just a such a strong... Um, bit of advertising really political advertising um i mean it's fantastic that there's that kind of pun in the in the main text labor isn't working um but i think it you know it must have been massively responsible for the tories winning that election um some of the i think it's one of the most memorable and striking bits of political advertising we've had in britain for a long time um from Saatchi and Saatchi. And it's been it's been kind of co-opted and used and reused and parodied, parod uh, yeah parodied for uh, ever since really. You know, it gets 
pulled out every every election if if someone doesn't parody it it's you know the political posters of the time are always compared to it so it's seen as that kind of the epitome of british political propaganda really um so i don't like it because i'm uh left wing but it is brilliant um and yeah, yeah love it it is good um, it reminds me of the i've got you know sort of notable others the vw lemonades by ddb mm, in the 60s it's got that same yeah. sparse feel to it hasn't it yeah um yeah, yeah. Uh, notable others that i haven't put in there i'll quickly whiz through those um yeah, yeah. vaughan oliver 4ad album covers yeah. uh pixies etc etc um any peter savile the penguin logo Oh, okay. Oh, Jan's uh, Tischold. Tischold. No. Is that how is you that, say it? Is that what we're talking about? Tisch. Yeah. <laughs> Tisch, Tischold. Tischold. Tisch, yeah, that's what I always thought. Yeah, that that his reinvention of their of their logo. Fabulous. Yes. Um, and then the other one was the IWS wool symbol. I love that. The the what? Oh, it's, the wool symbol. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really lovely logo, isn't it? Yeah beautiful so yeah i mean mine are mainly logo based because that's what i sort of you know a lot of what i do so um yeah i I can't say there are books or uh sort of you know entire um graphic design i don't know bibles that i think are perfectly designed because i don't i don't know that enough i don't know enough and i haven't studied it so i don't have that Mm. kind of that deep knowledge um, it's designers talking about design, isn't it? To designers is what we we talk about. We're trying to avoid yeah. those sort of more more um, everyman kind of things that yeah. you'd recognise is what I was Which, trying to find. Well, I have to something. because I don't. <laughs> we should come back to this. Um, we could do it every uh, every now and again, couldn't we? Yeah, With, yeah, um, that was a slightly different theme. Yeah, definitely. I I enjoyed that. That's good. So, have you got a website of the week? I have, and it follows on from one of your picks, really, because it's carter.metro.free.fr, and it is a snappy, isn't it? Just it's a, a cartographic resource, uh, and it shows every line and station in london so that's tube overground dlr trams it shows every open station all the stations that have been open and closed stations that never opened sidings depots workshops oh my um, god and i love a map and that's I amazing love the, the underground and the, the kind of train systems of london I, I love it when you pass by in the tube and you can kind of glimpse a, a closed station in some dark little tunnel and things I'm fascinated by when you, you're walking down the streets of London and you like Oldwich um, tube station, you can walk past it and it's, you know, it's no longer a tube station. I think they do filming down there now. Um, but yeah, it just shows everything and it's fantastic. So you can view this map online, zoom into kind of your local area or the centre of London and just see all these kind of fascinating <laughs> historical uh, oh, anomalies. That's really, amazing. That, it's great. And so I think good. Uh, looking at the the menu on the website, it does it for Belgium, Spain, Switzerland, Italy, Canada, and the USA as well. <laughs> so it's pretty fab. 
That's insane. There you go. So yours is? <clears throat> well, it's only because I was using it this week, but I have to say it's a beautifully designed website. It's kind of following that form um, that we were talking about. It's very process-led. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a kind of user experience website, it's fantastic. It's called carwow.co.uk. Okay, and the concept of the the business is to give you to deliver you quotes from dealers uh, with their best prices without having to go into local dealers and talk to idiots in wide ties. So, like, um, kind of moneysupermarket.com or yeah, those kind of comparison websites, but for buying new cars. Yeah, but on the site, you spec the car that you want with all of, and so it has a database with every single you can imagine, like uh, variation of a car that you order, um, and then. Over the course of it, it will then it then kind of eBay sends out mails to all of the dealers that are on its books, and mm. then they then they bid between each other for your business. So you oh, don't have wow. to do any of that kind of ridiculous, you know, pretending that you've got you haven't got a price from someone or whatever. So it's a bit some, like a Dutch auction. Yeah, so somebody coming away, you know, you always go into these places, don't you? And then they go, oh, I have to see my manager about that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, or we'll throw in some mud flaps. Um, but no, there's none of that. And the savings are really good. You get, uh, we got uh, nearly 15% off of the list price for the car. That's great. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool site. Um, the dealers hate it. <laughs> I'm sure they do. And that's why I've been talking to them on the phone about. But, um, but yeah, for me, it's been great. So it's saved, saved well, not saved us because we're going to spend a fortune on a car. But um, yeah, yeah, we've definitely, definitely reduced it. So if you're looking for a car, car wow. But I think from a design point of view, it's absolutely brilliantly designed um, user experience. So um, congratulations to the team that are building that. Brilliant. Yeah. It cool. just works. So on to, pies. On to pies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've got a plowman's pot pie, which is never a good thing, really, from Waitrose. Although I have to say, so it's a it's a pork pie, and mixed into the the pork meat is a little bit of pickle. Ugh. I think, and I think that's it. Oh, I think it has a bit of cheese in it as well. <laughs> uh, but it does also have jelly. Yeah. So, you know, it's not all bad. And I'm eating this with a pickle from the lovely people at the Counter Press. So the Counter Press we've mentioned before, beautiful uh, Let's Press printers based in East London, uh, David and Elizabeth. Uh, and they, for Christmas, they sent me uh, a Counter Preserve. Oh, very good. Of, uh, of an old peculiar pickle. So I'll just go in with a, a smidgen of that. Excuse me. What? It's actually really good pastry. Um, typical kind of uh, pot pie pastry. A little bit of uh, poppy seeds on top or nigella seeds. Um, and the pot pies are right. It's really nice and moist, which these little mini pot pies often aren't. Can't really taste um, much of the cheese inside it. Um, but the jelly's good. Uh, I'll be honest. The pickle from the counter press is so good it'll make any pie <laughs> work. It's good. So the pie gets a pie gets a five and a half. No, the pie gets a six. 
Pickle gets a a nine. Whoa. Mine is, I went to um, our butchers across the way and bought a pie from them. I've never bought a pie from our butchers and they've got a massive pie counter. Who knew? You idiot. (laughs) So I've got a whole whole tranche of pies to try from them. This is a hand-raised, small hand-raised pork pie. I don't know who raised it. Uh, It's from Oakvale in West Mids. So it's not a local pie. Um, it's just like a snacking pie. It's yep. got a, it's a pork pie, um, same as you, which is funny, isn't it? I've just had a little Jack Russell leap into my my um, lap. Um, oh. He obviously wants some pie. Do you want some pie, Ralphie? Let's be the first pie to get three scores. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is this is uh, podcast gold. It's quality. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some heavy editing. <laughs> you definitely leave that in. <laughs> so anyway, how's the pie? Mm, like a, you know, a pretty cheap pie that you'd get from a garage. Um, okay. Pretty, pretty, um, pretty disappointing, but um, not bad. Um, pastry is a bit soggy. There's no jelly and the pork isn't very well seasoned. So I'm going to give that a four, but right. you know, it's edible. Well, I'll hope for better from the other pies from your local butchers. Yeah, I, I do too. They had lots of ones to cook, but they didn't look as uh, as as handsome as the ones from Armstrong's. No. So next time, uh, next week, we we're going to try and get the this year's winning pie from the British Pie Awards, which is a Dickinson and Sons um, Melton Mowbray pot pie, which I think you can get in Waitrose or Amazon Fresh or Amazon Fresh. Yeah. Um. So that's it for this week. It's been uh, a delight talking to you, John. Yeah, I've been paying and, uh, attention. I have. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> nice to uh, for Ralph to make a contribution this week as well. Hmm. Yeah, he says hi. Excellent. I look forward to seeing him soon. <laughs> um, and uh, I will talk to you again next week. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and next week, what's our topic next week? <laughs> I'm doing well today. Uh, it is um, self worth <laughs> zero. <laughs> the self worth of a working man. That's yes. it. That's it. It's so about, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Exposure. Um, exposure and self worth. Yeah. Yeah. So look forward to that next week um, and some more pies. Yeah, and then we've got type, typography, the episode after that. So if you've got anything that you'd like to uh, talk about or mention, then drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. We would indeed. Hey, is anyone out there? Help! <laughs> it's been a joy, John. Yeah, cheerio, and have, uh, have a lovely weekend. Yeah, cheerio. Bye.